a world of information, advice and support available 24-7. The best way to stay current with great ideas. Love and support. Uplifting and reassuring. A constant source of inspiration and positive thinking. Like a staff room without cynics. Gives you a sense of belonging. An unlimited resource. A very supportive bunch of like-minded people. The reason I'm where I am today. A source of mad sanity in the crazy world of teaching. Feel the love. You're listening to the MFL Twitterati podcast, the podcast celebrating the voices of language teachers from around the world. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the MFL Twitterati podcast, the podcast aimed at language teachers wanting to find new ways of enhancing language learning with and without the use of technology. My name is Joe Dale, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host slash podcast buddy slash partner in crime, Noah Geisel. Hey, Joe, great to be with you. Great to be with you as well. I can't believe we've made episode four already. Amazing. How's it going? It is going fantastic. Tons of great stuff going on. Everybody uh, is changing the world right now in education. And my personal life, my wife and I just moved. So we're pretty excited about uh, New Digs. How are you doing? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. Thanks. I was delighted that we got our first couple of iTunes reviews and you can check them out on the website, mfltwitteratipodcast.com, one from the US and one from the UK. So thank you so much for those people that left those reviews. And obviously, we'd love some more moving forward. Yeah, thanks so much, everybody. It means the world to us. So, Joe, jumping right into this episode's radar segment, what's been on your radar? Well, what's been on my radar recently, surprise, surprise, is been listening to lots of podcasts. And I've been particularly interested in checking out different podcasts created by language teachers aimed at language teachers for their own professional development. And that's been just amazing. For example, I came across the podcast called Franca Lingua, which has been created by the head of Spanish at Dulwich College, Alex Ilchef. And that seems to be very much aimed at secondary language teachers and it's a fantastic listen. And here's Alex talking a little bit about the podcast to give you a flavour. Hi, this is Alex Ocho speaking, head of Spanish at Dulwich College. Our podcast collaboration with Juan Toledo from City Heights is called Franca Lingua. It's available on Podomatic. The link would be podomatic.com slash podcasts slash Franca Lingua. The podcast aims to discuss the teaching and learning of MFL from a UK perspective. We have had guests on our six or seven or so episodes so far, and we're keen to have more varied discussions on all kinds of topics ranging from differentiation to the differences between classics teaching, so Latin and Greek and MFL, as well as the difficulties faced by various language learners. We look forward to hearing from any of you and any feedback that you may have. Thank you. Thanks so much to Alex for sharing that audio with us. And Joe, what other podcasts are on your radar? Talking of brand new podcasts, I was delighted to see this morning that a new podcast related to language learning has just come out, and that's called The Language Revolution. The first episode has already dropped, and that's with the famous Thomas Bach from Edinburgh University, who's a neuroscientist who's particularly interested in how the brain makes changes when we're language learning. And that podcast is by at Lomo underscore linguist. And I can't wait to hear more about that because what she's focusing on in the podcast, according to the blurb, is UK attitudes to languages. So I think that's really exciting. Yeah, that's really great stuff that we'll probably be able to use to take into our learning communities to share with students, parents, administrators, all about the power of language learning and why it's so important. Definitely. And there's a couple of primary language related podcasts I wanted to mention as well. The first one is Natalingo's Natters. And this is from uh, Natalie Paris, who's based up in the northeast of England. And she's up to, I think, episode 12 at the moment. And I love her style and her individuality within the podcast. 
and she gives lots of practical tips of what she does in her languages classroom aimed at language teachers in primary schools. And then the second one is by Janet Lloyd. Her podcast is called the Primary Languages Network Podcast. I think she's up to episode four at the moment at the time of speaking. And what Janet does is she interviews her associates as part of the network, but she's also planning on interviewing other language teachers about their practice, but particularly aimed at primary languages. So I think those uh, those two podcasts are doing great stuff. Uh, so between all the ones I mentioned so far, we've got some aimed at secondary, some aimed at primary, and I'm not sure yet about the audience for the language revolution, if it's supposed to be aimed at tertiary or what have you. But lots of interesting podcasts to be checking out if you're interested in learning about um, what other language teachers are doing while, say, you're on your, on your commute in the morning. What about you, Noah? What are some of your best US-based podcasts to do with language development and language teaching? You mean besides the MFL Twitterati podcast, right? <laughs> we Teach Languages is just an amazing project coming out of Memphis, Tennessee, where they are putting out just really impactful interviews with language teachers. And another thing, uh, they're at We Teach Lang on the Twitter and complimentary to the podcast, they put out a weekly newsletter. It's usually about a three-page PDF. Highly recommend checking that out. The Inspired Proficiency podcast is one that is just red hot right now. It's getting tons of listens, tons of enthusiasm. That's with Profe Ashley, who we actually brought out to my conference here in Colorado and did a live recording of that. And she is just taking over the podcast world. And I highly recommend both stylistically as well as content. I think a lot of the MFL Twitter radio will find a lot of tips and strategies that are going to be very new to them listening to that podcast. The Talking L2 with BVP podcast is a new release from Bill Van Patten, who's a very famous researcher from Michigan State. Teachers uh, who you know really dug into pedagogy in college may have read a lot of his acquisition theory research. And he's somebody who's taking both the best of the research aspect of things and just his propensity for, without a better word for it, stand-up comedy and combining those into a really entertaining language teacher podcast. And there are just so many other ones, both around teaching as well as just great stuff in the target language that we can be pulling into our classrooms. And Joe, I'm sure we'll be able to drop a few of those links into our show notes. Absolutely. Now, one of the big issues I found around finding what podcasts are out there is this whole issue around discoverability. And one of the big shortcuts I found is the use of hashtags, in particular, the hashtag podcast edu for finding out about educational podcasts. So not necessarily language related, but I found a whole host of different podcasts to do with educational technology. So to start off with then, if I was asked to give a couple of recommendations to those people who are interested in ed tech but didn't really know where to start podcast listening wise, I would say a couple of ones which would be good to start off with based in the UK would be, first of all, the EdTech podcast that was created back in 2016 by Sophie Bailey. And I I actually appear on that one one myself on episode eight. I think she's up to around episode 150 now. So she's doing great guns with that. And that podcast is particularly looking at sort of the connection between uh, education and the commercial side of technology. So that's really fascinating. And then quite a recent one, which I've come across also based in the UK, is called the EduFuturist podcast, obviously also looking at EdTech. And those two are really good ones to start off with. But to be frank with you, uh, Noah, the ones which I found particularly inspiring have all been from the US. So, for example, the first one is called the EdTech Takeout. And that blew my mind because I just absolutely love the style between the two presenters. Going on from the EdTech Takeout, I then also really got into the podcast called Shooks and GIF, 
which is uh, an amazing podcast. Again, has that same sort of banter of the two co-hosts, which I absolutely love. I think that if you've got that sort of mixture of humor with good educational technology content, then for me, that's a win-win. And then other ones which I also enjoy, for example, the Google Teacher Tribe, Podcast PD, and My Tech Tool Belt, which is quite a new one which I've come across. And then literally in the last couple of days, uh, I came across one which I thought was fantastic. It's called Plus One Learning. What I particularly like about this podcast is the way in which the teacher introduces a new tool per episode, which is quite, you know, run of the mill. But what she does, which I think is particularly interesting, is each time that she does that, she follows this with an interview with one of her students about what they think of how she uses the tool in the classroom. And to get that sort of student voice piece, I think, for me, is audio magic. What do you think, Noah? And I love a lot of those podcasts. You mentioned a specific shout out to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast hosted by Casey Bell and Matt Miller. And for folks who don't know that Matt Miller is not just the author of Ditch That Textbook and Ditch That Homework, as well as I'm sure a number of amazing books forthcoming, he's also a former Spanish teacher himself. Um, Another recent favorite of mine is by the amazing Monica Burns. It's called the Easy Ed Tech Podcast, where she's dropping just a really quick hitting EdTech Tip Podcast once a week. Another one for folks who are starting to explore gamification, I highly recommend checking out the Well Played, and that's uh, Well Play and then capital E-D. Fun little pun there for you. Yeah, great stuff, Noah. Thanks ever so much for that. I didn't actually realize that Matt Miller is a former Spanish teacher. That's awesome. Uh, he's on lots of podcasts. In fact, I would recommend if you use an app like CastBox, that's C-A-S-T-B-O-X, it's got an awesome search directory, which allows you to search not only for individual podcasts, but also individual episodes within podcasts. So if, for example, you wanted to do a search for Matt Miller and then click on episode search, you'll find when he's been interviewed on lots of different educational technology podcasts. So that's a top tip as well. Another app I'd recommend for podcast junkies is iOS and Android app Swoot. That's S-W-O-O-T, which lets you share the podcast you're listening to with your friends and social media contacts. You can, for example, check out the list of podcasts I subscribe to at swoot.com forward slash Joe Dale. As I tweeted when I first heard about Swoot, if you like listening to podcasts about language learning, edtech, football, comedy, or music, then you'll probably find something of interest in my new Scoot listing. To finish off this section, I was going to give a big shout out to Jake Miller as well, who does the incredible Educational Duct Tape podcast. And obviously that's also to do with educational technology. But what I love about it is, again, his his manner, the way that he uses a lot of humor within his um, podcast. He does speak very, very quickly, which I know people have accused me of as well. But he also has a guest or guests each week. And I just think the the banter that he has with them is just wonderful. So again, I'd really recommend that one as well. So that's that's lots of homework, podcasting, listening homework for everyone on their commutes in and out of work. Yeah, Joe, and you know that's actually a great seed to my radar because my radar segment is with the great Jake Miller. He's just such a great person to follow on Twitter. He's been blowing up a lot lately. And one of the things that he is really just amazing about is sharing his great ideas by making instructional gifts. So, you know, people say, oh, hey, all you got to do is bam, bam, bam. You know what? What Jake does is he actually shows it to you and you get to follow his screen. And because it's a gift, it just keeps replaying and replaying. And one of uh, the things that he came up with recently was an amazing way to hack Google Sheets into making vocabulary cards. And we have some audio from Jake that describes just exactly how to do that. 
Hello, MFL Twitterati listeners. My name is Jake Miller. You can find me on Twitter at Jake Miller Tech. So many of you have probably already seen my tweet that went viral, but I'm excited to explain it to you since you, as modern language educators, are at the forefront in the use of pedagogy and technology to support the development of fluency in language learning. So this little trick only works in Google Sheets, though there is a similar function in Microsoft Excel. In Sheets, though, you enter the formula equals Google Translate, and then an open parentheses, and then you type in the location of the source text, for example, A2, if the text is in column A, row 2. Anyhow, that is then followed by a comma, and then quotation marks the ISO 639 language code for the source language. So for example, I might type in EN for mine coming from English. Then another comma, and in quotation marks, the ISO 639 code for the destination language. So I might be putting ES for Spanish. Finish it off with the closing parentheses and voila. If you have multiple words in your source language, you can also drag that corner box down into the subsequent cells to fill the formula down to them as well. Keep in mind that the translations aren't perfect, but I think there's tons of ways the formula can still be valuable. I think it's great for creating vocab lists for students who have just moved into a country with a different language, as well as for creating flashcards with flippity.net or on Google Slides using Autocrat. I've also seen a number of people talking about their uses of it in software development and localization. I'm sure you can come up with some other exciting uses. Just keep in mind that when possible, you want to proofread the translations that it's outputting. I'd love to hear your ideas for using it. You can see the formula in action at jakemiller.net slash translate. Thanks, Joe and Noah. Keep up the great work. So thanks ever so much to Jake for that. I think that's a really cool um, hack for using Google Sheets, clearly aimed at world language teachers or modern foreign language teachers, as we say in the UK. And I'm sure uh, the MFL Twitter RT can come up with some interesting ideas on how that you could use that. To me, it's simply a quick and easy way of creating a vocab sheet in English and in the target language. And I think um, if there's anything that can streamline or can save teachers time, then that's a really good tip, in my opinion. Any thoughts, Noah? Totally agree with everything you just said. And for teachers whose heads were just blowing up trying to keep up with Jake, again, that website is jakemiller.com slash translate. And, you know, I think one of the really important things for us to remember with what he said is that students are doing the creation. So this doesn't have to be just teachers generating vocab lists and flashcards for the kids. It can be students deciding what they themselves need to practice with and creating the tools to help them reinforce that. So now it's time to move on to the MFL Twitter RT takeaway section of the podcast. So Noah, what's been a tweet which has resonated with you recently? Absolutely, Joe. And for our listeners, something that Joe and I have been talking about a lot off air is our real infatuation with the movement towards authentic audience. And so a tweet that's really been capturing me is something that Martina Becks, who is up in Alaska, has been doing is something called Revista Literal. And so what she has created is this free online magazine that she's putting out about once a month where students, your students, can submit their writing to this magazine. It then gets published, and you have hundreds and perhaps even thousands of teachers all around the world downloading this magazine and using it for reading practice in their classrooms. And we have some audio from Martina talking about the project. Hi, everyone. This is at Martina Becks. And if you are a teacher of Spanish language learners, then I have an awesome resource that you have to know about. It is called Revista Literal, and it is published by the Comprehensible Classroom at www.revistaliteral.com. 
It is a free monthly easing that we encourage students to subscribe to, but often we find that teachers are the ones that subscribe to it and they download the published issues for their students to access in class. Revista Literal features stories that are written by Spanish language learners for a target audience of Spanish language learners in their first or second year of language study. So the stories that we publish are not great works of literature. They're often kind of quirky, kind of goofy. Sometimes they're serious. We've had pieces of poetry submitted and published. So really a pretty broad range of texts. But the idea is just to increase early language learners' access to texts that they can understand. So if you'd like more information, we would love for you to visit www.revisaliteral.com to get involved in this project. We would love to get more international submissions and we would love to create just a global community of Spanish language learners the same way that you know we have one as teachers. Thank you so much to Martina for that amazing audio. Congratulations on the one-year anniversary of Revista Literal. And to any of the MFL Twitterati who are not already familiar with Martina, do know that she's not the most active on the Twitter. She's way more active on Facebook. Great place to connect with her there. She's also at comprehensibleclassroom.com and her teacherspayteachers.com website is also just a fabulous resource for any teacher who needs great resources on the go. Yeah, I think that's an absolutely fantastic initiative. The way that um, she is encouraging uh, Spanish learners to send her their articles, their stories, their poems. I can totally see why that would resonate with you, Noah, and it resonates with me as well. And what a great call to action to encourage as many people as possible to make it into a global community. I think that's really brilliant. So thanks ever so much for sharing that. I wasn't aware that that was out there, but I think, uh, it, as you say, it absolutely reinforces the power of, of a global audience to raise the standards of students' work. And I can't wait to check out some of the articles and the poems and the stories that uh, Martina has published there. Great stuff. Yeah, and I loved how she just focused on, Joe, the notion that they don't have to be great works of literature. It is okay to let our students publish something for an authentic audience that is not Shakespeare, right? And, you know, for anybody who's, you know, shaking their head and their fists in the air that this is only for Spanish language learners, you know, it's a totally scalable idea. Create it yourself for your German students, your Chinese students, your French students. Absolutely. But I think what's really powerful about what Martina is doing there is the way in which she's encouraging learners of Spanish who are just in their first or second year of learning to send her articles, send her poems, send her stories in order to give them a real audience, which is what we said already. And I think that's so inspiring in the way that, you know, it sends a simple message to the students that their work is worthy of a global audience, is worthy of being downloaded by by other students or by teachers literally all over the world. And to me, right from the word go, right from the beginnings of the students' language learning that just sends out such a powerful message. And I think that it's something that we should really encourage. And I think that Martina is doing a great job. And also, as you said, I would encourage other teachers to replicate the same model in other languages. If you don't teach Spanish, you know, please don't think, well, this is not relevant to me. Why not try the same thing in your own community? Maybe start off small and, and just see how it can grow. And I think that, that Martina has really proved the value in doing this. So thanks ever so much, Martina, for, for sharing your story. Absolutely. And it just warms my heart at Joe Dale that you also uh, 
have an emotional connection to my takeaway. What about your takeaway? What's really resonating with you? My takeaway for this episode is around the initiative called Language Stones, which was invented by Elvis Runner a few months ago. And if you check out the hashtag Language Stones or you go onto their Facebook group, Language Stones, you'll see lots and lots of multicolored stones celebrating languages. So the idea essentially is in your free time or maybe in a club or maybe to celebrate European Day of Languages that we had a few months ago, you can design a stone celebrating, it could be an individual word or it could be a short phrase, but you colour it in, you make it look beautiful and then you hide it in your local area, but you put a sticker on the back saying if someone finds this stone that they should post an image of the stone onto the Facebook group or onto on social media so that other people can see that they found that stone and, and they can feel validated by the fact that they that someone has found their stone. So why it resonates with me particularly is I think it's around this idea of mindfulness and the way in which particularly with the run-up to the uh, the exam period we're just coming into now the idea of students taking a moment, relaxing for a moment, forgetting about the revision that they have to do, and maybe paint or draw or create a couple of language stones and put them in the local area. What a great way of taking their mind off the revision for a moment and to centre themselves on something different. So to me, I think that's absolutely fantastic. And we're just going to hear some audio now from the, the creator of the idea, Language Stones, Elvis Runner, followed by uh, Lisibo, who also gives a really funny example of how her language stones were found by someone in the local area. Hi there, this is Elvis Runner from the MFL Twitterati, and I'm here to talk to you about language stones, an idea that I came up with that I'm very pleased lots of people have already taken part in. The idea is that you combine creativity and language learning. You draw or paint a stone with flags or with little pictures. You can then put a phrase or a word in a foreign language, whichever language you want, and leave it for someone to hide. You can put instructions on the bottom. They then post it to Facebook or Twitter. And I've just set up an Instagram page all under the name of Language Stones to spread the love, spread the MFL word. It's really lovely to see on our Facebook page and our Twitter page at the moment, lots of schools have done it for European Day of Languages. Lots of schools are doing it in after school clubs or lunchtime clubs. It's just really lovely to see everyone get as excited about it as I did. It's also incredibly therapeutic of a weekend to sit there with the paint and, and the colours. The best thing to do is find a good smooth stone. I bought bulk load from the range, but you can also get them from home base. Please don't pick any up off the beach, though, because that's illegal. Acrylic paint, Sharpie pen, spray varnish, job done. Have a great time and be creative. When Elvis Runner first shared her idea for language stones, I thought it was a really great one. I'm not very artistic, but I do love doodling. And I thought this was a great way of combining my love of doodling with my love of languages and my desire to share them. So one rainy day, I grabbed a stone and a Sharpie and had a quick doodle. And I hit a few. And at first, it didn't seem that people were finding them. Perhaps they just weren't sharing them. The first time someone did share that they'd found one of my stones was really exciting. And I almost jumped up in the air and whooped. And the second time someone found one was particularly good because someone found it in the morning and they rehid it in another place. And it was found again in the afternoon by somebody whose child was learning Spanish. And they were particularly excited to have found one of my Spanish ones. Although I teach Spanish, I've also made them in various languages, German, French, Italian, Swedish, some that have been multilingual. And I've hidden them in the local area and also on holiday and also when I've been running 
and doing races and things. Recently, someone found some in the local area and posted them on our local site, the Smilestone site. And I found that to help me track where my stones are, I've also started putting not just the language stones label, but also my Twitter handle at Lisa Bow on the bottom of them. And that means if I miss one, people can tag it and I can search later on. And it's also funny because my friends have now worked out that it's me putting all these language stones out. So they tag me when they find a post as well. Most recently, somebody found one, well, someone's children found one in the in the local area and took it home to their mum. And she said, it's ironic because her school had just made a load of stones to hide for European Day of Languages. So I thought that was really nice. The MFL Twitterati podcast is brought to you by Linguascope. Linguascope.com is an award-winning language learning website trusted and used daily by thousands of schools worldwide. When your school subscribes to Linguascope, students get access to a wealth of interactive activities in a dozen different languages, with over 140 topics covered. The games can be played on interactive whiteboards, computers or on tablets. There are free apps students can download on their own devices. All staff and students can log in both from school as well as from home, making it ideal for homework too. The website also contains a host of resources to make teachers' lives easier, from principal worksheets to customizable interactive games templates. If Linguascope is new to you, then you'll feel like all your Christmases have come at once. Teachers truly find Linguascope.com invaluable, and you will soon notice the positive impact on your students' motivation and learning. But don't take our word for it. Visit Linguascope.com and click on Learn More to find out what the website has to offer. We guarantee that you will fall in love with Linguascope. Thank you so much to Linguiscope for your support of the MFL Twitterati podcast. And we now go into the MFL Twitterati show and tell portion of the show. And Joe, this episode, we are focusing on revision. Absolutely. And what you're going to hear in the next few little bits of audio are lots of really, really cool ideas generated through the MFL Twitterati community, looking in particular at the examination that we do at the age of 16 in England and Wales called the GCSE or the General Certificate of Secondary Education. And to me, as I've said in other episodes of the MFL Twitterati podcast, this is really when the MFL Twitterati comes to its fore. It's the epitome of the power of the community, the way in which lots of different teachers in the last few months have been sharing ideas on how to help students revise for the GCSE exam. And we're going to share some of these insights in this episode, but also in the next episode, we're going to share even more because there's so much that the community have shared. And I'm sure you'll all find it really, really useful, particularly around this time of year. So the first two tips we're going to hear are going to focus on the speaking exam. And first up, we're going to hear from Mrs. Bellacat, followed by H. Costello MFL. And finally, we have Sarah Smith, who has an incredibly long Twitter handle you'll hear in a moment, which I'm not going to try and repeat right now. Hi, this is Mrs. Bellacat, and I'm going to talk to you about how I am using the voice recording facility on Padlet to help my GCSE students become more confident tackling their speaking exam. When Joe first introduced me to Padlet, I saw great potential for creating a virtual oral exam environment. I set up all my Padlet using the shelf format, and I used the first column to upload all tasks and questions. For the photo card and the role play, I upload a screenshot of the card the students would get on the day, and I use the voice recording facility to insert the unknown element underneath the screenshot. I do a lot of timed practice with these in class. I give 7 or 12 minutes preparation time, and then students start to record their prepared answers. 
They are not allowed to pre-listen to the audio recordings and they have to listen to these and record their answers on the spot as if it was a real exam. Students find this really useful because it helps them learn how to manage their preparation time. For the general conversation, I create one Padlet per module in the textbook. Once we have studied all content and worked on potential perfect answers together. I set these for homework. Students can prepare and record in their own time. Or I set learning for homework and then they have to listen to the questions and record on the spot in lessons. Once they have finished their recording, I listen to their answers and I feedback using the insert text facility. It's worth noting that you can listen to answers and type at the same time. My students and I have found very many benefits to Padlet. It means I can listen to all students regularly, including the quiet ones. It means students listen to each other, get a sense of what a good answer should sound like, and they learn from each other's mistakes. They improve their own accuracy and their pronunciation. It's also a very safe environment to work in. The best outcome of using Padlet has been the regular practice. Students get a feel for what it's like to take an oral and how to tackle it. They are more confident, they become more fluent, and the stress levels are definitely not as high on the day. I hope you find my experience with using Padlet to support preparation for the speaking exam useful, and thank you for listening. Hello, my name is Miss H. Costello, and last week I shared two pictures from my Easter speaking revision session with my Year 11 boys. The first picture was of my Revision Pong game. For this, you will need a really cheap beer pong set. I got mine off Amazon for about £6. You will need to split your group into two. I played mine with five students, but I would play it again with a bigger group. And then you will need a table and then you are going to lay out your cups in a bowling ball formation. So one cup at the front, followed by two, followed by three, followed by four. And in the cups, you are going to put a question from the general conversation part of the speaking exam. However, you could play it with tenses, you could play it with reading questions. It's really, really versatile. So once your students are split into two and your game is set up, the idea is that student A will bounce a ball onto the table and hopefully it will land in a cup. When it lands in a cup, student B is going to answer the question that's in that cup. Once you're happy with how they've answered that question, they can turn the cup over and then the team that gets their cups turned over the quickest will win. My second game was my Easter egg game. So I bought again off Amazon some really cheap plastic refillable Easter eggs. Now in the eggs, I put a question mark followed by a random word. Now the idea was this would help them with the question part of their role play exam, which they really struggled with in their mock exams. So they will need a paper and pen and they play this individually. So they grab a egg and then they've got to write a question featuring that random word. And whoever gets the most eggs by the time they've all run out from the middle is the winner. I made them write it down so that we could peer assess it and that we could go over it and see the mistakes again. So both are very versatile games. You can play them with a number of students. You can play them with a tiny group of students and you can do them for almost any topic or skill. And I hope that helps. Hi, my name is Sarah Smith and my Twitter name is SMI1464496. Lots of Sarah Smiths out there. <laughs> I'm a head of MFL in a secondary academy in South East London. I'm going to talk briefly about a resource that I created using the expertise of David Shanks to support students in using the 12 minutes preparation time in the GCSE French speaking exam. Obviously, the strategies can be applied to any language at GCSE. 
So the resource is called The Magic 12 Minutes, and it instructs students on how to best prepare the role play and photo card tasks, but also to help them ensure that their notes are as clear as possible to avoid any confusion during the exam. So it advises students to split the 12 minutes equally between the two activities and then spend each of those six minutes doing the following. For the role play task, it suggests that they write down an emergency phrase, first of all, in the target language, which they can use to ask for a repetition. Then says to write down the register you need to use and then to number your notes to avoid confusion when in the exam. It then suggests to write ask where you have to pose a question to remind students to do so. And then finally to predict multiple responses for the unexpected question so that they already have some ideas before they go into the exam. Then for the photo task, it suggests to prepare a description of the photo using the acronym Applewood. So this reminds students to include actions, people, purpose, location, emotion, weather, objects, opinions and descriptions. And it then says to prepare and answer the first two questions, which they've seen on the card, using the acronym AVOCADO, which stands for adjectives, verbs, opinions, connectives, adverbs, description and originality, to encourage developed answers. It finally asks students to make multiple predictions of what the unseen questions could be based on the topic of the photo. Our students will be sitting there speaking mocks this week, so I'll be able to see whether this has a positive effect on their learning and hopefully it will have helped them along. Thank you for all of the great ideas on the MFL Twitter RT podcast and, of course, on Twitter. I thought that's a really creative use of Padlet. I particularly like the way in which uh, Mrs. Bellacap was using the voice recording feature and the way in which she described the use of Padlet in that way as a type of you know, virtual language lab. I thought it was brilliant the way in which um, the students were able to record their audio on a separate column per student using the shelf format, as uh, Mrs. Bellacat explained, the way in which she could then give them feedback. And if they wanted to, I don't think they actually did in this example, but if they wanted to, they could then re-record their audio based on uh, the feedback that she has given them and the way in which that has boosted their confidence. I think that's absolutely brilliant. So I thought that was wonderful. I also thought it was really innovative the way H. Costello MFL used revision pong in the languages classroom using that sort of classic uh, beer drinking game, beer pong. Have you heard of that in the US, uh, Noah? <laughs> uh, without giving too much away, Joe, it may or may not have a lot to do with how I learned Spanish. Oh, you got me all intrigued now. <laughs> so any other thoughts on um, on those three bits of audio? Yeah, I, mean, I think really engaging students is the key there. And um, one of the things I loved about what Sarah said was getting students, capturing them with their own imaginations. That That's something that really resonated with me with her show and tell. Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic stuff. So thanks ever so much to those three for sending in their audio contributions. It's very, very much appreciated. Moving on to another idea to help students with their revision program is the 30-day challenge from Stephen French. Now, what Stephen has done is he's created 30 different videos, all available on YouTube, and essentially he's setting different tasks, short tasks that the idea is that students will complete every single day, and that will help them, support them in their revision program. Have you checked out any of the videos, Noah? Not yet. I'm looking at them right now. And just part of this show and tell that I really love is, as he says in his audio, the folks are about to hear just the bite-sized piece of it. And for any of the technologists in the MFL Twitterati who are playing around with a flipped classroom model, I think what he's offered us here is a perfect way to get started. My Twitter handle is at GCSE Spanish. And I'd firstly like to thank Joe Dale for giving me the opportunity to talk about the Spanish GCSE 30-Day Revision Challenge. Now, the 30-Day Revision Challenge is up on YouTube, and I put about 30 videos on YouTube about 18 months ago. And the idea behind the series of 32-minute bite-side videos 
was to give students the opportunity to revisit things that perhaps they knew reasonably well two or three years ago, but they haven't really gone over since. So for example, in my experience, time is not really practiced that much or numbers are not really practiced that much. So within the 30 day series, I'm giving pupils and students of GCSE Spanish the opportunity to revisit these things in the security of their own home at their own pace. And what I've tried to do is to ensure that there is a relatively encouraging and engaging tone to get them to stop and to interact with the videos. I've also used the video scribe software, which perhaps makes it slightly different and more engaging as well. So that's essentially it. I've also tried to get people to binge watch it. And that is something which from the statistics that I have, people actually do. I hope you found that useful and perhaps even encouraging people to put it on show my homework because my experiences and the feedback I've had is this series has been well received. Muchas gracias, todo el mundo. Yes, I think what I really like about the 30-day challenge is it feeds nicely into the idea of space revision or space learning. In other words, instead of trying to cram everything into your revision program in, say, a day or two days or three days, if you space your learning out over 30 days and you do a little task every single day, that the final outcome should be a lot more embedded or your understanding of the concepts that you're trying to produce in the final exam should be a lot more embedded rather than just trying to remember everything at the last minute and cram, 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 and then obviously forget about it afterwards. So I think the 30-day challenge is a really, really nice idea, and I would encourage any student revising over this period to try and space out their learning because it should produce dividends according to research. Yeah, and it, it also just allows the students to self-pace and own their own learning doesn't it? You know, if I need to review this revision tip, you know, I watch it. If I don't, I skip to the next one. Absolutely. So in other words, you're giving the student the choice to choose how they want to learn. If they want to skip something because they've already done it, that's fine. But if there's something they need to work on, if they want to watch the video as many times as they need to, they can do that. And that's the, the great thing about flipped learning in the way that Stephen has gone out of his way to create these videos for free. You can watch them as many times as you want to. So there's some that particularly would appeal to you. Others you would say to yourself, well, I know this already. And that's great. So thanks ever so much to Stephen for creating this resource and making it available on YouTube for anyone to access if they feel the need to do so. Another fan of Space Revision is Mr. B. Currier, and here he is describing his approach. Hello, I'm Mr. B. Currier on Twitter, and I'm Head of Modern Foreign Languages and Author of School in Portsmouth, where we teach Spanish from Year 1, and then we gradually introduce French from Year 8. So the area that I've been asked to discuss today is revision techniques in MFL, and in particular, spaced revision. This academic year at my school, we've been introduced to the learning scientists who have got different approaches to revision, including coding, retrieval practice and space revision. And we've really focused on these in MFL. Space revision is the idea of spreading out the time to revise across a much longer period of time. Instead of spending five hours doing one chunk of revision the night before the exam, spread those five hours out over a week into manageable times. It helps produce more longer last learning and as I said, it sets aside a bit of time every day. My pupils have been given a homework plan, which has got questions for every day, 10 to 15 minutes roughly each activity, from January up until the day they sit their last exam in June. Some of the activities have include reading questions, so from English or into Spanish, essay plans for what they would have to come up to and then writing, 
speaking work. So either looking at their presentations for their exam or describing the photos or general conversation at the end and then translation activities. The pupils have seen that they are able to retrieve a lot more information than they've ever done before. Some of the key words, key phrases are standing out to them now and they're able to use these in their work and understand them and they're getting better at their reading papers when we do it and writing papers. It is benefiting them all. It does take a lot of time to plan and prep this. There were over 150 tasks created. However, the outcomes are really high and it is worth the effort to be put in. Another way how I'm helping my pupils, supporting them with their revision is every day on Twitter, I am putting up a tweet under the hashtag MAFMFL, where it's given short tips on how to succeed in the exams. It could be reading question practice, or it could just be the variation of vocabulary or grammar. And all of this is benefiting my pupils. And hopefully something like this will benefit yours too. Love it, Joe. And what else do we have for this episode show and tell? So we've already heard some fantastic revision ideas for the speaking exam. What we're going to do now is listen to some ideas around writing and in particular preparation for the 90 word and 150 word challenge. And that's from Seven Kings MFL and Senor Cordero. Hi, everyone. My name is Alex Ferraby and I'm the head of languages at Seven Kings School. And it's a real privilege to be invited by Joe Dale to explain, first of all, the bucket list which is a support tool for the shorter 40 or 90 word MFL GCSE writing task. And then following that, the bucket Excel planning format for the longer 150 word writing task. Now, have you ever thought that your pupils are often charging into the task and simply writing without thinking? Well, we devised the bucket list to first of all, encourage pupils to stop and plan and think before charging into the bullet points. The bucket mnemonic stands for box, as in box the command word, underline the key terms and words, then check and check again, as in check you've understood and then later check the text for accuracy. And then I for inference, infer what is the bullet point really getting at. And then, of course, the all-important T for tense and time references. Have you satisfied the tense requirements of each bullet point? This, we have found, helps pupils to stop and think and to plan. And in the same way, the planning format for the 150-word task is even further a support tool to enable them to plan and think what they're going to include before writing with the very brief two bullet point task in the MFL GCSE. So if you look at the main components of the um, planning format, first of all, they need to unpack. We use that word all the time to help them deconstruct the question. Would they unpack the two given bullet points and perhaps then partition it into a more familiar, more friendly four bullet points, which takes them in four distinct directions. It helps them to put it in the same format as the shorter writing task. And then later, as you look around the 150-word planning format, you can see that there are different aspects which are satisfied. Tenses, really strong diamond vocabulary, all-important negative phrases, and by planning um, deliberately to include all of these, the pupils can hit the top marks for the quality of their language and um, avoid waffling. 
Hope you enjoy. Thank you. At Senor Cordero. This snippet deals with the nighty words and issues with students meeting the bullet points. I found that a lot of my students, especially when we were moderating in the learning area, were not necessarily hitting the bullet points head on. So I wanted to create something, a scaffold, especially for younger students, just to help them really hit the tasks head on. Any of you that work with AQA will know that the nighty words feature on the foundation paper and the higher paper alike. So it's something that affects all students that we enter. So what I did was I created the scaffold to walk students through the process. So the scaffold follows five steps. The first step is that students translate the bullet points that are given and they identify the tenses. One bullet point, one task will always elicit the past time frame, one will always elicit the future time frame, and one will always elicit the opinion. This is so that students can reach full marks. They've got to be given that scaffold to be given the potential to reach full marks. The second process is students turn the bullet points from the U form to the I form. I think this process is essential for this exam. I think it's also a skill that's very important for the 150 words, for the speaking exams as well with unpredictable questions, and also for the listening and the reading when students have to answer in the target language. I think it's a really, really important skill to teach our students. After they do this, students then write down their endings. Anybody who works or teaches the AQA specification will know that AQA obsess over verb endings. So I just want to give make sure students have them in front of them so they can go back and reference it once they've written their essay. Finally, students write useful vocabulary down, two opinions as well, or three, or however many they want. Two opinions is what stipulates in the mark scheme that they need to access full marks. And then they actually write the essay themselves. At the bottom of the page, you'll find there's a little checklist that includes three timeframes, two opinions, and checking verb endings. This is all done based on the mark scheme that AQA provided. It's worked quite well for me, and I hope I, well, my year 11 students now have this process internalised in them, and I will continue to use this as we go through and gradually take the scaffold away. Before I go, I just want to give a shout out to K-Prof de Fonse, who provided the French version of this. Thank you very much. It's now time for the Tech Talk interview, and in this episode, we're going to hear about Jane Bassnett's journey going from iPads to Microsoft Surfaces and how she's integrated Microsoft tools into the Languages Classroom. Go, Jane. So, Jane, for those people that don't know you, could you maybe just give us a little bit about your teaching background, how long you've been a teacher and where you work? That'd be lovely. Okay. Well, it seems like I've been teaching for forever and a day, but it's only just about quarter of a century that I've been teaching French and I've taught in a couple of schools in a city in London uh, at the start of my career. And then I moved out to the countryside and I teach now in an all-girls school. I uh, run a big department with a variety of languages from uh, the complete age range from 11 to 18. Cool. And when I first heard about you, Jane, it was via Twitter when you were really getting into iPads. Can you maybe describe your initial steps on integrating iPads into language lessons? Yeah, of course. So Twitter, I suppose, is the thing that brought my attention to what was out there. And my school was going down the route of looking into iPads or some kind of technology. So I got hold of an iPad and I only had one and sometimes I was able to get a class set of iPads, but the majority of the time it was what could I do with my one iPad in the classroom. So I explored a whole load of apps and I thanked Joe and a whole load of other MFL Twitterati people for sort of pointing me in the right direction of what apps I could use. And I started exploring with those and I felt that I really had to be quite generous with my iPad to let other people use it, you know, to let the students use it in my classroom. But that was also a really positive thing because I was 
the students were teaching each other. So I would get one pair of students to do an activity with an app or perhaps a couple of apps, and then they would teach the next pair and so on and so forth. So it was a very positive experience from that point of view, but also limiting because, of course, we only had the one iPad And so then I wanted to explore ways when I knew I had a whole class set of computers, what could I do with the computers? And that's when I got into um, Google, using Google Classroom quite a bit. Awesome. Now, I remember back in the day when you wrote a blog post about the one iPad classroom. Could you maybe just give a couple of examples of, uh, for those teachers that maybe have just the one device, what they can do with it in the languages classroom? Yeah, of course. So I started, I suppose, with apps like uh, Make Dice Light and decide now and apps where the students could speak um, via you know an interface so like Yakit Kids or Telegami a whole load of things if I look at decide now for example I would uh, do activities speaking activities where they would press the wheel and whatever the topic was they would then have to speak talk about that topic that was named on the on the wheel but with Make Dice Light That was, in a way, even more fun because they had to really think about grammar as well. I often used it with grammar. So if I was doing possessive adjectives, for example, I would have a couple of dice and one would be the items and the other one would be the possessive adjective and they would throw the dice and then they would have to make their sentences and they would do that speaking for a while and you could, you know, I could develop it. They would speak for a while and then they would create sentences out of them that they would write down. So um, then there were other applications I would use, such uh, like I mentioned, um, Yakit Kids or Telegami, where they could, they would write stories and then present those stories via a little emoji that they had made. And for some children who didn't like, who don't like speaking, it took, it made them feel like they were a step away from the whole, from the whole process of speaking. So it took away some of that anxiety that they often feel. Jane, piggybacking on on that sentiment, you know, listening to you describe these apps that you first got started with on the iPad and, and what you are always sharing all the time on Twitter, I get the sense that for you, tech is is not just about the process, but that you're always looking for ways to leverage the tech in ways that are going to help students find and experience the joy, right, in, in, lang- in studying language and culture. And so I'm wondering, you know, what are some examples that you can show listeners who might be nodding along and thinking, yes, I want my kids to have fun learning languages I do want my classroom to be a place where it's fun because I think if that if I have that engagement, they want to carry on. But also, it's not just about fun. It's also about making them feel that they have succeeded. So if I think about Book Creator, which is obviously now online and so you don't necessarily need an iPad for that, there are so many things that a student can bring to that that makes a boring task, such as writing a postcard home, much more interesting because it's actually a real postcard that they can type on, they can draw on, they can speak on, they can do all sorts of things with it, create links and then send it to somebody if they wanted to as an ebook. And I think that makes them feel like it's a fun task, but it's also enabled them, they can see that they have achieved something. That's the mo- one of the most important things. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's awesome. Another set of examples I remember you posting about um, on your blog um, to do with sort of engaging activities using the iPad was around the the theme of app smashing. I remember there was one app smashing example you did when you had, I think it was a student talking out of a shark's mouth. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, she talked about her vacances désastreuses. She was quite scared about speaking. 
but it made her develop her ideas even more when she knew that she could, okay, I found this picture of a shark and I'm going to create my story around the shark. Obviously, she had to learn the word for shark. That was fine. And she just developed her story and probably went beyond what she would normally be able to achieve if she was simply sitting there writing in her book or typing on a computer. It gave her, it gave her further that she could go and to develop her ideas. Now, talking of developing ideas, I know that you did a master's in uh, digital technologies and languages. And I think it would be fascinating if it's okay for you to chat a little bit about your sort of ed tech journey and how studying um, a master's in that uh, area had an impact on your own ideas and more importantly, uh, in the classroom. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, again, I got Twitter to thank for this because I discovered the MA via Twitter. And I thought this is something I really wanted to get into. You know, I've always prided myself on thinking about my teaching and how I can improve. But what the MA did was made me look back at methodology and pedagogy and all all the research and dive back into it and consider my own teaching. And I think maybe I'd moved away from that. I hadn't, I wasn't always considering the methodology behind my teaching. It was probably I'd moved to a point where I was thinking, what will be a fun activity? What will, you know, how am I going to pace the lesson? How am I going to make it engaging for the students? But I wasn't really thinking about my ultimate goal, which was the progress I wanted them to make and what I could do to get them to progress. And the MA made me dive back into the literature and reconsider it. And I don't think I would have done that if I hadn't done my MA. It made me look at things, for example, like differentiation and feedback and collaboration. And obviously, I was looking at it via technology, you know, how technology could impact on that and the history of what technology had done for language teaching. So originally, you know, computer-aided language learning and the beginnings of telecollaboration. But I, you know, I was able to delve into the literature research it more and then develop my own practices. Yeah, that's fantastic. Could you maybe give an example of, let's say, a lesson that you had traditionally done before you did the Masters and then how it then you then replanned it or changed it based on what you'd done from the theory point of view? I mean, very simply, thinking about writing written work where they were writing about their hometown or whatever, I was able, because of the MA and because I'd thought about it a lot more, I was able to replan that. If they were, you know, writing the pretend letter to their correspondent, now I could actually write to real correspondence using an app such as Edmodo, where I was able to keep control of their safety online because I could see what they were doing and I could pair them up and I found a school abroad in Paris and they were able to communicate with each other and I really thought about the process of what I wanted them to write about and to learn about with each other and it made obviously it was a much there was more integrity in the task because it was real they were writing to real French people who were interested in them and they were interested in the French people so that brought that whole project alive previously perhaps it was just a boring classroom task. You know, listening to you talk about that, Jane, something that occurs to me is just, you know, the resource of time is just one of the most valuable things that we have as educators. And, you know, it seems like we're always running a deficit. You know, we, we don't have extra time to spare, right? And, and yet I hear you saying that as hard as it is to find the time that reflection is just one of the most valuable ways that, that we can get a return on the investment of that time. Absolutely. You know, when I, I still spend absolutely ages planning. So anybody who thinks when they've started teaching that it'll get easier, I mean, it does get easier because you know what you're doing more, but I still spend ages planning and reflecting on what I can do to ensure that I get to my goal. And 
you should never take away that time because that's how that time where you can reflect and consider what you've done with your teaching and how you can improve it. I'm not sure I'm answering your question, actually. I think you are. I think it's really good. And I think definitely you probably I'm sure you'd agree that, that Twitter and the MFL Twitter art in particular has a, had a huge impact on your on, on different examples and different ideas that have helped you to reflect and to hone what you have traditionally done, but putting different variations and different spins on that. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, that's really helpful because MFL, Twitterati or Twitter has really helped me. So even last night I found myself thinking, God, I haven't taught this topic for absolutely ages, something really simple, but how was I going to teach it in an engaging way that was going to enthuse my pupils? And I wanted to make sure I was using the technology because it's a bunch of students who've got Surface Pros. So I wanted to make sure I used that so the first place I went was Twitter and, you know, come on Twitter, let me know how do you teach this nowadays? And normally I get quite a lot of responses, but this time it was a bit dry. So obviously a lot of people were finding it a bit difficult to think of anything interesting. But reflection is key and having that massive staff room of Twitter just makes the whole reflection process simpler and perhaps takes away a little bit of time because you can get some quick ideas. People are very keen to share thankfully. And, and you know, that's one of your first ports of call when you're thinking about planning and you've got issues. Yeah, that community aspect can be so helpful to, lean, you know, just realize we're not alone in this and, and to lean on one another. And, you know, one, one of the things that you touched on, that I think a lot of, especially early career um, language educators will really kind of feel validated on there is, is you sharing that really important point that it doesn't get easier, you know, it just gets deeper and richer as we go. And, and I think another thing that you kind of subtly touched on there is you, you all of a sudden started talking about Microsoft Surfaces um, when we started out with iPads. And, and that might also be something that is familiar to some folks is that, you know, schools making decisions that dramatically impact us, like uh, switching from being an iPad school to a, a uh, Surface school, a Microsoft school. You know, can, can you reflect a little bit on what that transition was like for, for you and your learning community? Yeah, no, you're spot on, really, because, you know, we're not in control of what our schools want to do, not unless we're the senior leader, and, and I'm not. And so I did have to move from using, I was I was able to use Google, and I know that my colleagues were impressed with the whole idea, but it was not a whole school commitment. And eventually school committed to going down the Surface Pro route, which was fine, you know, once I got over my... Uh, over my disappointment and somebody gave me a shiny new Surface Pro, I was very quickly happy <laughs> to, you know, to play with this fantastic toy. I mean, you know, as far as it's possible to love an inanimate object, I love my Surface Pro. And the things that I can do with it are just very exciting, really. So I knew once we were given the Surface Pro that I wanted to be a leader in my school in terms of how we could use it. You know, I wasn't, I didn't want to fall behind so I engaged in what Microsoft had to offer with all their training programs, which I did online. And, you know, it's just sort of common sense stuff. And because it's word-based, you're using it all the time. There's so many little things that you can do on Word documents that perhaps we couldn't do before. But I think everybody knows about those. And then I moved. We had a year or so with Surface Pros when the students didn't have them. And so I thoroughly explored the notebook. And I also started up some class notebooks with some of my classes because they had access via their own personal computers. And, you know, I just threw myself into it. I think the key thing with technology is not to be scared. You can't break it, not really. And there's always somebody there who can help you fix it if you're really in dire straits. I think you've got to throw yourself into it and make the most of all the tools that are there to enhance your teaching, to make your job easier, to make the process for the students 
even better. Now, talking of enhancing teaching, you mentioned uh, OneNote um, as one of the Microsoft tools which are available on the Surface as well as on other on other devices. Could you describe um, how you use OneNote in the Languages Classroom? Because I see that on Twitter there's been quite a lot of discussion recently about, uh, for example, using Class Notebook for audio feedback or, or promoting speaking skills. Could you maybe explain an example whereby you've done that and then the sort of the tips and tricks you would give to other people who would like to replicate the same idea okay so one of the things that I can do in my class notebook which I think is very powerful is in the collaboration space I can split the collaboration space in two and I can pair my pupils so on one particular page I'll have two pupils working together and one will record perhaps a little presentation about herself And then the other partner will listen and write out what they've heard. So some notes. So it's a speaking and a listening task. And that's something I I would never have done before. And it's because of the tool that I've been able to do that. That's awesome. And have you set up the class so that um, you are asking different students to assign work to different cells in a table? Or how do you make sure that people don't overwrite each other's work or what have you, or it gets messy? That is a very important point. So if you're going to use your class notebook and you want them all to be on the same page, you do need to create a grid. I mean, this is how I've made it work. And that way, there are no conflicts. Nobody's writing on the same space. You know, that is key because otherwise the whole task falls to pieces. So I've got a task tomorrow, for example, with my year sevens where they're going to be doing a listening. And I'm going to read off some some things and I'm going to ask each student to tick off the box when they finally hear what I've got to say. So there are 20 boxes, 20 students, when they've heard their little thing that they're listening out for, they have to tick off their box and there will be no, there'll be no compromise there. There'll be no conflict at all. Each girl will have their own space. And then the other way of doing that is to pair them and split the page in two and then there's no conflict. So another one of the tasks tomorrow is that each pupil will write out the names of their family and the other person that they're paired with will draw partner A's family tree and then they'll swap over. So that'll be a reading and a listening, a reading and writing task. You know, Jane, I, I get the sense that grids are almost a, a theme, whether it's, you know, using flip grid, whether it's keeping organization using grids. And, and I've seen you share, you know, even grids for quickly in the moment evaluating, assessing students. And, you know, one of the patterns with, is not just the grid, but it almost seems like it's, you know, we have an expression on state side about working smarter, not harder. And, you know, is that really something that you are intentionally doing in your adoption of educational technology and language teaching is just ways of using the tech to do more and work more efficiently, I guess? Well, like I said to you earlier, Noah, you know, the teaching is the thing that I want to save the time for and the reflection for. So if I can harness technology to make my life easier, I will do it. You know, my I have a OneNote for myself, which is full of little grids, you know, tasks that I never achieve on a weekly basis <laughs> that I just carry forward, you know, week on week. Uh, another little task with little tick boxes. Even when I create tasks for the students, I will give little tick boxes. It gives them a sense of achievement. I know that's really, it sounds really bad. Basic, but I think they really enjoy that, that they can tick them off. And there have been occasions when I've left the little tick list off and some of my students have said, oh, there's no tick box. I like the tick box. You know, it makes them feel they've achieved something. But I will use technology to make my life easier without doubt. And I think this, you know, the OneNote helps me do that. Or when I had my iPad, that helped as well. 
one of the apps that's linked to Office 365 is Flipgrid, which is just awesome tool. It was actually half term and I was trying it out. And I, I recorded a little message for my year sevens and put it in the team, you know, the Microsoft team, which is linked to our class notebook and said, look, girls, you know, if you want to have a go in the holidays, go for it, you know, keep their French going. And I did get some responses from a number of the girls. And then I just set it as a, as a homework when we came back to came back to school. And the rest of the class have done it. And they've absolutely loved it. They, again, it's that anxiety thing. It was just, I think for them, it's such a novelty to be able to do their homework in this way. It wasn't a writing homework. It wasn't a learning homework. It was an ability for them to express themselves via video. And I was then able to give them each personally a little bit of feedback, which they loved. And the other really powerful thing about it was that we recently had a parents' evening and I was able to show some of the parents what their children had done. And the parents loved it because they don't get to hear their children speak another language. And I had parents who were just overjoyed to see and to hear their children and to see them as well because it's obviously video. One parent was almost in tears. Another parent was laughing so much about where their daughter had recorded recorded her Flipgrid, which happened to be the downstairs toilet. So the whole thing was just, I, they loved it. And it brought, for, for the me to, to talk to the parents and to show the parents what their children were achieving was fantastic. I mean, it's great. I can show them their written work, but, you know, to show them you know, so they can listen to their children speak the language, I think, you know, is really powerful. Brilliant, Jane. Brilliant stuff. So thank you so much, Jane, for sharing your insight on your, your EdTech journey, your, the impact of doing the masters on your, um, your uh, teaching practice in the classroom and your move from iPads to, uh, to surfaces and then just sharing a few uh, top tips on how you've used things like uh, Class Notebook and Flipgrid to promote uh, language learning in the classroom. I think it's been awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all your insights. It's an absolute pleasure. I look forward to getting any feedback that anybody's got and, and learning more from Twitter. So appreciative to Jane for her time and passion sharing it with the MFL Twitterati podcast. And Joe, any quick reflections as we move on from that interview? I'm sure listeners will find this episode particularly useful, particularly those teachers who are preparing their students for GCSE revision practice or or revision in general, because I would say that a lot of these ideas can actually be extrapolated to any educational system. doesn't matter if you're not based in the UK, but I'm sure that those teachers who are in the UK system, or should I say in the English and Welsh system in particular, that you'll be able to take these ideas and use them straight away in your classes to help students with their revision. And of course, we wish all the students taking their exams in May and June the best of luck and and fingers crossed everyone gets what they deserve. And we can't wait to hear the results in August. Absolutely. I'm such an inspirational community. And just once again, we really get a chance, Joe Dale, to see how The MFL Twitterati are not just a hashtag. They are a community of practitioners who are here for one another and just willing to be vulnerable and generously share their genius with the world. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And in fact, because we had so many tips and tricks on ways of revising, helping students to revise for the GCSE, in the next episode, we're actually going to have another section in the MFL show and tell on revision ideas, but focusing on some really cool mnemonics that different language teachers have come up with. We had the bucket list from uh, Alex Farabee in this episode, but in the next episode, we've got lots and lots of other different mnemonics that teachers are using to help their students, not just with GCSE revision practice, but actually in preparation into Key Stage 4 from Key Stage 3. So I'm sure that you'll all find that useful as well. And teasing the next episode, it's a Tech Talk interview that I know we were both really excited about. What can listeners look forward to, Joe? 
Okay, so we heard Jake Miller at the start of this episode and Ranga the Trainer, or Darren White, as he's known in real life, uh, is going to talk about lots and lots of different ways in which you can harness the power of Google in the languages classroom. So he does mention Jake Miller, but he also gives lots of tips which he's used himself, either in the classroom or when he's doing training sessions on the power of Google. So I can't wait to uh, to put that one out next month. That's right, Joe. I'm also super mega mooey excited for us to get that interview out into the world and uh, really happy about wrapping up our fourth episode of the MFL Twitterati podcast. Definitely. So good luck, everyone. And thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. The MFL Twitterati podcast, celebrating the voices of the modern language teaching community. If you've enjoyed this episode of the MFL Twitterati podcast, please rate and review us on Apple's podcast app so more language teachers can find us. Bonus points if you do it in the target language. You can subscribe to the MFL Twitterati podcast on the Apple Podcasts app, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our podcast site is mfltwitteratipodcast.com, where there are lots of references to this episode's content and all the previous episodes, too. <laughs>